Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. Final round recap of the BMW Championship. And boy, it was a good one. I have a funny feeling uh, we have some takes tonight. And this is Driving the Tour presented by Volvo. Let's welcome in the gang. Had to get that one in there. We got Doug Bell, Mark Illman, Kyle Porter joining us tonight. Kyle, let's start with you. Um, first of all, what's up? What's going on? How was your weekend? <laughs> I've, got, I've got, I got plenty of takes. What, 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 what takes do we want here? Should we start with the, should we start with the course, Olympia Fields? I think Olympia Fields definitely has a place in this one. It was, it was unbelievable. And I, I thought that, you know, we can, we can dive into this, but I, I, I didn't. So it got easier every day. You look at Thursday, Thursday's the hardest day. Friday's a little easier. Saturday's a little easier. Sunday was the easiest. It, it made it, it made it interesting. I, I, I you know, other people might disagree, but I wish it would have stayed as hard as it was on Thursday and Friday because it was insane. But I think that when you have a course like Olympia Fields, it just it allows the guys that are hitting the ball best in any, any given week, which I, th- I don't think anybody's going to argue with Rom and DJ are hitting the ball better than anybody in the world right now uh, to kind of to rise to the top. So um, that was awesome. The ending was unbelievable. I mean, it was just it, – it, for, for either one of those putts to, to drop would have been crazy, and for both of them to – DJ almost hit the, the one on top of him in the playoff. I mean, it was just – it was so good. It, it was up there with, you know, the PGA and maybe the Word Day Charity Open and the Memorial was as my favorite tournaments of the year. It was definitely up there. Extremely exciting, and, and the finish was – so dramatic. It was a heavyweight duel, which was just awesome. But uh, Doug, first of all, welcome. Uh, th- thanks for joining us again tonight. W- what did you make of this action? Do you have similar thoughts as Kyle? Well, well, Greg, you said it was a heavyweight battle. I'll say it was a welterweight battle. Uh, going back to marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Remember when they fought in that first round and they just kept throwing punches and everybody was going crazy and they called it the best round of boxing in history? And what we saw today was probably the best 30 minutes of golf we've seen, certainly this season. Mm. Uh, I know Kyle referenced the Colin Morikawa uh, JT finish at the workday, and that was, that was great. But when you have one versus two putting on a show like they did, uh, I mean, it, it's, it, was, it was thrilling. It really was. And, you know, talking about the course, it's interesting. TV doesn't give the greens justice, just like at Augusta National, until you're there. And you yeah. see all of that undulation, the hills. You really can't appreciate how these guys put on these greens. The, the, the hills, the peaks and valleys there at Olympia Fields are crazy. And, and those putts those guys hit at 18, I mean, I just can't tell you how amazing that was. The DJ and then the ROM follow. I mean, the, where the hole was cut from up in that ledge to, to pick out the right, not only the right line, but the right speed. I mean, I don't know. Ron kind of downplayed it. He said, well, you know, you pick out the line, hit it right, it'll go in. I don't know about that. That was, and that he was hit the flag stick right in the middle. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, it, was, it was awesome to see. Um, Mark, I know you have some thoughts on this. Do you agree with Kyle on the golf course? I'm sure if you're a golf fan, you enjoyed the finish. You enjoyed the playoff. But what did you make of the rest of the week? Uh, can someone, because uh, I decided to go and have a look at the strokes gain stuff. I figured I'd do my best Kyle Porter before this call. And yes. Can someone please explain to me, did any of you watch any golf? You, you did, right? So did you watch Adam Scott hit the golf ball for the last four days? How the heck is he ranked so low in strokes gained approach and such? Can, can you, someone explain that to me? Well, he played terrible today, Mark. I mean, he, he played his way out of the top 30 today. I mean, he was good until today, right? But still, he's ranked like way down the field at ball striking numbers. Whenever, I, dr- whenever I turned around, the guy was playing from the middle of the fairway, hitting a ball over the top of the flag stick. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't doing that very often. He only hit 29 fairways. Okay. Well, maybe I'm sorry. But, it, you know, when there's something that I find – I want to get your thoughts on this, Mark. 
when Adam Scott stands over a golf ball, and I know we're a little off course here, but when Adam Scott stands <laughs> over a golf ball, but Adam Scott just, in the the, five minutes in, <laughs> yeah, right off the top, when he stands over it, you just assume that it's it's a good shot. It's a it's a great shot, and and you have this idea that hey, um, well, it's beautiful to watch, so you would expect the numbers to back it up. They don't always do that, but I mean. He passes the eye test every time, no matter what he does with the golf ball. Let's buy the buy because I picked him in the one and done. I thought he'd be good. So I was a bit wound up about it. (laughs) So that's personal. I'll get over myself. Um, As far as the golf course goes, uh, you know, we said as much before the event commenced. And it's a wonderful venue. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. you know, in terms of having major events there. And I was, I was happy the Western Golf Association came back. Um, I'm hoping it'll be on a rotor somehow. And it, it gave the players all they wanted and it gave the fans all they wanted. And, and it tested every part of the game, which is something that me, I sort of personally look for. You know, there's certain golf courses you can skate by as certain elements of the game. And in this place, you had to do everything well. And then you had to manage your emotions too, because... Both sides, which is what I kind of loved, the last three holes would slap you about your gills some. So if you were three or four under quick, you had to somehow get the thing in. So nothing was ever given. And, and that's part of the allure of the place that I enjoyed. Yeah, I thought talking about the last few holes, I mean, DJ played them. So he played them 3-3 three, three on Friday. Uh, and then to go out and 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 knowing he had to, cause I think Rom finished what, like as he was on 17 or as he was on, I mean, he finished pretty well ahead of, of where DJ was. So to know you have to birdie 17 or 18 and those were playing, I don't know. I think they ended the, the week as two of the, the tougher, I don't know, five holes. I've, I've got it right here. So if you look at the entire week, uh, 18 was the toughest hole. 17 was the 10th toughest. So it wasn't, you know, wasn't crazy, but, uh, to go out and birdie 18, like he did, uh, multiple times throughout the week. I mean, it, it's just, I, I think DJ is on a, on a different level right now. I mean, his ball striking the last, you look at the last, you go back to the start of the PGA championship. He's gaining about four strokes around on what three of the best fields that we've seen all year, PGA Northern trust. And then this week of the BMW championship, it doesn't get better than those fields. You know, you can look at players, Riviera, uh, some of the fields early in the year, but these three have been probably, uh, uh, you know, along with Memorial, uh, the best since the restart. And I don't know, it was just, it was an unbelievable. He didn't even play that bad today. He just got rolled by Rom uh, at the very end. So I, I, I couldn't be more impressed with where DJ's at. feels like if they played the U.S. Open tomorrow, he'd win by five. Do you, do you think he's the be- really the best player in the world? I know John Rom takes over as world number one. I'll throw this out to everybody, but start with you, Kyle. Do you think he's really the best player in the world? Uh, DJ? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, again, you're gaining four strokes around in the, in these three events. I, it, it depends on the time frame. If we're looking at a year, you know, you could throw JT in there, you could throw Morikawa in there. If we're looking at a month or two, it's got to be DJ. He, he's just, it, it, and I think the thing about him and, and the broadcast talked about this. So I was glad they did. I feel, I have so much confidence in 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 where his putting is at right now you know some guys they get over like a four footer or a five footer and you're like i don't know seven out of ten times eight out of ten times is what this feels like with dj it feels like it's going in every single time and the stats kind of kind of prove that i mean his his, his putty in the last few weeks has been really solid he, he's i i think that he just generally probably doesn't get enough credit for the kind of putter that he's turned himself into uh, over the last you know five is this Cal Porter recognizing someone for putting well when it meant something? Well, not when it means something, but to, to I mean, yeah, the strokes game putting is, is legit. I mean, to keep yourself in the tournament, he hit so many five and six footers. Uh, and he lag putted really well. You know, I, we'll talk about Tiger later. Tiger couldn't lag putt to save his life. And DJ's lag putting <laughs> over and over and over is super, super impressive. Check yeah, guys, um, let me, Dustin Johnson and Kyle, check the numbers. I think he was 54 out of 54 from putts five feet in at Olympia Fields. And when you do that, um, that, I mean, that's crazy. And the up and down at 17 today, I mean, obviously we're talking about the great putt he made at 18. But, uh, you know, he sprayed his second shot in that bunker on the short side. Actually, it wasn't the short side, but he, he got it up there to five feet and rolled it in. So, Kyle, you're right on. 
I mean, the putting is spectacular for Dustin Johnson. And Grego, by the way, the only way John Rahm with a win would not have gone back to number one is if DJ did not finish solo second, and he did. So going into Eastlake, DJ will still be number one in the world. Rahm will still be number two in the world. And obviously, there'll be one and two in FedEx Cup points. So, I mean, talk about uh, talk about drama and setting the stage for the uh, Tour Championship. The PGA Tour couldn't have drawn it up any better. I mean, they couldn't have gone at the beginning of the year and had somebody – Let's 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 write this up to see what would be the best script. Uh, I, I think they got it. Then that'll happen nope. next week. Yeah, I, I think you're. It's going to be fascinating next week. I can't wait to see this, Mark. Uh, just on DJ to to get your thoughts on this. He started the round today, uh, three under through four, and he was just hitting every iron shot right at the flag. It was it was a thing of beauty. And then he plays his last four holes in two under. As a coach, I mean. If you're anything like me, we talk about first five minutes, last five minutes. And and you have to start strong and you have to finish strong. If you're Dustin Johnson, are you sitting there? Are you disappointed that you lost? Or are you thinking, hey, this was a great finish. I did everything I was supposed to do. I got beat by a, a crazy putt in a playoff. Um, that That's a hard question for me to answer because I don't know what Dustin's thinking. But uh, watching someone play the game to win – You've got to get busy early and you've, then you've got to survive for a while because there will be turbulence. And largely, you've got to play your final three holes under par. Now, one, you, you're okay if you play them two under par if you're in contention. You're probably going to lift the trophy as far as you know, all of my experiences and such go. What was more impressive to me was just how he survived through the middle portion of the round because there was some headwind. He wasn't hitting it as well. You know, it looked like all the momentum shifted. And Hideki sort of sort of grabbed the impetus in the final group there, and, and it looked like Dustin was sort of clawing around. He had to chip out sideways on one hole, and and he just kept himself alive, which is how you win tournaments. You know, everyone's going to have their share of birdies, but it's always fire and fall back, and then survive. And and there's kind of runs that players get on. And if you spill strokes during your little bad stretch, you can have a run, but then you're doing a run and you're finishing fifth or sixth or seventh. This guy gave himself a shot. He got himself into the playoff. He was done in by a once-in-a-lifetime type of putt and extra holes over there. So, so I don't think, personally, I don't think he's disappointed. I think it's a whole lot to build on. And going to a place like Eastlake, where it's just big, man-sized par fours in front of you, and, and, and punitive Zoysia Ruff, you know, with as good as those greens are and the way he's playing right now, he's, he's going in there with a two-stroke advantage. I don't think anyone can spot dj too right now i really don't oh he, he's certainly um in control of that tournament next week if, if dustin johnson is gonna play the way that he's played the past two weeks i don't think there's anybody in the field with a chance i don't care if you're at eight under five under wherever you are you're not catching him um but the the player who won the tournament we haven't really spoken a whole lot about which speaks to the tournament itself but john Rahm was six over par on friday night and uh uh, we did talk about how uh, on Friday night, how a guy who's six over John Rom specifically was a round away from getting right back into the tournament. Hey, who, who talked he, about that? Who said that? Who said he was going to shoot 66 on Saturday? Oh, um, oh, you know what? I think that might've been something I said. Uh, yeah, th- thanks for bringing that up. It makes me sound much more modest, uh, but yes. Anyway, um, during that round, he picks up his ball mark and makes a bogey. And what's so interesting about this guy is he makes he plays it bogey-free on the weekend except yeah. for that one mistake. I mean, is this the best weekend we've seen of the year? Where does this weekend of golf rank um, during this season, Kyle? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's up there. Uh, Morikawa, what did Morikawa do on the weekend at TPC Arden Park? I don't have that in front of me. I, I remember it being just unbelievable. But, to, yeah, to go six, he went 60, 65. He went 65, 65? Uh, something like that. It might have been 66s. So, Ron, well, DJ last week went, what, 64? Yeah, 61. He shot 60, then 64, 63 or something. Uh, uh, yeah, and th- that doesn't beat uh, Jim Herman the week before. But, look, these are different kind of fields we're talking about here, right? Different kind of field, different kind of course, I think, is the main point. To go uh 66 64 i mean yeah putt for 63 on 18 on on sunday and I, I i get it it was playing easier it was playing around 70 and a half 71 i think on sunday but you know my thing with rom and and, I, and i've kind of been talking about this for the last year or so is his game 
so two things. One, his game travels all over the world. He wins the Irish Open. He wins Torrey Pines. Uh, he wins Olympia Fields. I mean, there's nowhere that you can go where you can say, well, his game, it's, it doesn't fit his eye. It, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter where you play. The game works. That's because he hits it high with his iron shots, and he has complete control over the driver. And the, thing, the, the second point that I want to make, and, and we saw this at Muirfield Village, and I thought we saw it again for a lot of the week at Olympia Fields, is his touch around the greens is unreal. I mean, for somebody who, who, who hits it, who is kind of as big and burly and just hits it as far as he does, I don't know that there's another like long hitter off the tee that has the kind of touch that John Rahm does, other than pro- maybe DJ, I think at times, can, can kind of get in that class. But, I, I mean, it's just I, I, I'm constantly amazed by how deft he is around uh, some of these greens. Again, we saw it at the Memorial we saw it again this week, and, and I think that when you have that, you just create a situation where you, when you're hitting it well, you don't have very many holes, and it's just very difficult for the Mackenzie Hughes of the world to, to kind of take runs at a guy like John Rahm. Yeah, Greg, let me, let me mention this. Um, you know, and you mentioned the scores. He was eight off the lead after Thursday. He was six off the lead after 36. He was three off the lead after 54 holes. Now, today on the telecast, they, I guess they showed that uh, penalty on the fifth hole from Saturday. They must have shown it half a dozen times. They just kept <laughs> showing it. I mean, I, I guess you do that because, you know, different audiences tune in throughout the day. And that was a big deal. And it, it, I don't ever recall that ever happening on the PGA Tour before. It was a real brain freeze. But at the same time today, he caroms off a tree of 15. Instead of going to the penalty area, he comes back into play. So things tend to even out when you win a big championship. And while they made a big deal out of the penalty stroke, it was just one stroke. And then he got caught a break today. So things even out. The thing about Rob, too, the other thing we need to mention, he led the field in driving accuracy Saturday and Sunday. And he's hitting yeah. it a long way. And that obviously won him the, won him the championship, um, or at least put him in position. Some of those fairways at Olympia Fields, uh, they were 17 yards wide. I mean, think about that. 17 yards wide with five-and-a-half-inch rough on either side. And he leads the field with a driver most of the time in accuracy. Pretty, pretty good stuff from the young guy. It did impress me how often they, they went out there and, and just hit drivers. Um, they, they definitely have a model where they, it's very strategic and very, um, I believe, statistics-based on when to hit driver and when to lay back. But they, they don't treat that five-inch rough as a, a real penalty. They take, they take on that risk more often than not, which I find to be – um, I find it to be extremely interesting. Mark, when you look at John Rahm and what he did, um, and, and you look at coming off of Saturday and Sunday, that mistake on Saturday, which Doug alluded to, they showed you know a half a dozen times. But is there an old John Rahm that, that gets flustered by that situation and ejects from this tournament? Uh, yeah, uh, without a doubt. I mean, I've, I've, I've been on course calling him at one stage where – he hit a wedge, he was at the Players' Championship on the uh, seventh hole, the par four, and he hit a wedge from the fairway, kind of stood one up against the wind and missed the green, plugged it in the bunker, and he actually bent the wedge over his shoulders in front of me. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, this dude's strong, and he's also <laughs> a pretty fast temper on the go there. And then, and he's admitted he's worked on this, and I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty well convinced to your question that old John Rahm would not have responded or reacted to that mistake as well. Because twice in the post-round commentary, I heard him reference the bogey putt that he made and how proud of himself he was that he got out of there with a double bogey. And so that speaks to just error management and disaster avoidance, which is a big part of, of, of winning on hard golf courses. You know, winning on hard golf courses, we saw this week that, you know, a run of birdies was two in a row. So you're not going to be lighting the place up if you've made a mistake. So a lot of it is kind of the attrition, you know, the hanging on, the surviving, and sort of making four out of nothing, which he did a few times. I mean, how's that? Uh, he made that par four on the front side, or maybe 11. He was all over the joint and made one from off the green for a par. That's what you do in major championships if you want to win. Uh, it, it's not about yeah, finding fairways in a U.S. Open is important, but it's somehow, and Tiger was a master, turning a disaster into a bogey and turning a surefire bogey into four a few times. So, so that's what he did. And, and I do believe that the maturity 
the work that he's done off the golf course. He works with that bomb disposal expert, <laughs> which, which I find curious because if you're a bomb disposal expert, you obviously can't make a mistake because then you won't be an expert anymore. And so, 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 because everyone's known. I mean, when he was in college, people told me that this guy was a future world's number one. And I was like, please, man, let, let, let's wait till he plays against the big dogs. And then I'll never forget Doug Bell. I was still doing radio. We were at Phoenix. He got an invitation there. And I was on one group. Doug was on one group. And whoever else was on another group. And our producer goes to Doug. He goes, hey, Doug, go pick up John Rahm on the front nine. And I remember going, what the heck? And that year, that year as an amateur, he finished fourth out there, Doug. Yeah. Doug, what, what impressed you back then about John Rahm, if anything, of course? Well, you know, um, at the time, uh, Tim Mickelson was his college coach at Arizona State. And, of course, Tim's now in Phil's bag. And Tim later became John Rahm's first agent. And, you know, all this evolves, right? Uh, but at the time, Tim Mickelson told me, uh, and he just said, listen, this guy's special. And I'm not just telling you that because, you know, a lot of coaches say, Hey, this guy's great. and He's going to be a great pro, but, but, you know, we know what it takes to be a great uh, PGA professional. And he told me he was special and he was, I mean, listen, um, I remember at the players championship when he had that disagreement with Adam, Adam, his, uh, Adam Hayes, caddy, what was that? Three years ago on the par five eleventh. Two was last two year. years ago. Two years ago. 2019 and, and, players. Yeah. 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 And Adam said, listen, you got to lay up. And he, you know, he, and he just, and I was right there and he was arguing because I'm not comfortable with that. And Adam's like, all you need is to go, hit a wedge out there and you got to wedge into the green. And he goes, I'm not comfortable with that. And so he tried the shot, hit in the water and lost the tournament right there. That was on Sunday. And he never recovered from that. I mean, it was, it was downhill from there. You saw this psychological meltdown. And listen, I'm not that smart of a guy, but I saw it right in front of me. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, he's he's immensely talented. He's right where he should be. And uh, I, and that's the exciting thing about next week. We keep going back to that. Dustin Johnson is playing at his highest level. He has in a year and a half. And now John Rahm is at his highest level. And you have two guys going or right there going at it next week. One and two. That's pretty that's pretty cool. So two more things real quick on Rahm. He is actually as strong as Bryson thinks that he is. And, uh, like Bryson thinks he's as strong as Rom actually like is. <laughs> um, and then two, I think that, I think that, so with Rom, it's a little, it, it, it's a little Sergio like, right. Where it's like, okay, there's so all this like passion and he's just fired up all the time. And you're like, but you gotta like, you get, you have to learn to channel this differently. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily been like a tempering of um, what his emotions are, but rather a, like somebody who's wiser about, okay, I actually do need to lay up here to win the golf tournament. Like, like Doug was referencing at TPC Sawgrass. And so I, I think that's where like the, the maturity doesn't um, keep him from being emotional. I don't think that's just kind of who he is. I think it channels it differently to say, okay, I'm going to take my medicine here. I'm still going to be passionate and fired up and kind of bull my way into the rest of this round, but it's going to look different than it did in the past because of the choices I'm making in different situations. I thought it was crazy that he hit driver on 17 today. I mean, he had a, I think at the time he had a two stroke lead cause I, it was either two or one DJ maybe had just birdied 15 and Rumble's driver on 17, you're like, oh my gosh, like, the, you know, I'd seen Tiger hit it in the water like three days in a row and just, th there was a lot going on there. And he, you can tell when Rom's feeling it, when he, it doesn't even look like he takes the club back. Like it's just boom, boom, like, like right away. And it looked like that for the last hour. He was just so locked in and that's, I don't know, it's fun to watch when he's like that. I call it a, I call it a piston swing. It's like one, two, it, it's a, a beautiful tempo. Uh, I, for one, cannot copy it. It doesn't go very well for me. Uh, but on to some other young phenoms and superstars rounding out the rest of the top five. Joaquin Neiman was really impressive. And Kyle, you've alluded to um, earlier how the best ball strikers tend to shine on golf courses like this. And we saw Joaquin Neiman jump up there, and, and he really had a chance to win. Uh, Doug mentioned a couple of great kicks. We had a ton of great kicks uh, during that final round, and Joaquin Neiman got one on, on 15, very similar to John Rahm. 
Um, he also got one in a divot that wasn't such a great lie, but he showed a lot. He, he showed me a lot today. He was, he was extremely impressive. Uh, and, and the ball striking was phenomenal. Doug, what did you make of Joaquin's day? And what do you think of his chances going forward? Well, I think he has a bright future. He's only 21 years old. Wow. I mean, that, and, uh, and, you know, he's, he's a smart guy, too. Uh, like Rom, uh, you know, he's fluent uh, in English, which I think really helps him over here in a lot of ways. Uh, he was great at the beginning of the season when he went at the Greenbrier. And like a lot of players, you know, he plays a lot. And he had that uh, kind of soft middle portion of the year. Obviously, we had the break, but, but he wasn't playing his best before the pandemic break and even coming out. But now he's, he's kind of back in the groove. It was interesting, and on the telecast today, they talked about – and, Greg, you know you know about the golf swing, and, Mark, you too. You too um, his head really moves on that downswing. I mean, it moves a good six inches. That's crazy, right? I mean, not yeah. many people can copy that motion. It's pretty – he's an impressive young guy, and he's up to 18th now in FedEx Cup points, I think. There is in that golf swing a ton of side bend, and that's where the – that's where you see the head drop so much. And really good players – pretty much everybody on the PGA Tour will have a little bit of a drop at some point, and they will have some side bend. He is, no question, the most extreme example. Uh, it really allows him to keep the trail arm in a bent position as he rotates through the shot, but it's got to be a little bit hard on the back. Mark, are you, do you get concerned with him for injury at all? Uh, you always do. I mean, you never, never know with these guys, and you never know with travel and all that sort of stuff, but he's limber enough, and he's... he's in conversations with people and in brief conversations with him, he's awfully fit and he's surprisingly strong for a slightly built man. The thing that I'm more concerned with is the fact that I'm embarrassed enough and to, to admit that whenever people ask us, so who are the leading golfers in the world that are under the age of 25? I, who of us ever say Joaquin Neiman? And that is a bogey by the bunch of us. Because this yeah. guy said today that he has got some serious chops. And to that... I had the luxury of watching golf with, with my brother Trevor yesterday. And Trevor, we knew, well, us who were calling the stuff at the President's Cup, we knew that Joaquin was legit, Jacko as they call him. But apparently in the, in the team room, he's dynamite and he's up for any challenge. And, and they rode Abraham Anser and him in a big way, that international team. And, and it shows... The, the metal of the guy, it shows the chops of the guy, and then it shows the game, that he's prepared to get up and get in the face of adversity, and then he's got the ability to back up what's necessary. So, I mean, shame on me for not being asked throughout the year who the leading guys knew. You lobby Wolf and Hovland and Morikawa and this crowd of people. Jacko Neiman is for real. I mean, he really is for real. Kyle, do you put him in that in that group with the with the college kids? Where do you think he stands up? You got Sung Jm in that mix too, no question. Uh, I mean, talent wise, he, he's almost it's it's weird because he's he's younger than them, right? Like he's younger than yeah, but he's been around for longer. It feels like right. So he 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 was in what, what was it eight the eighteen Masters that he had to wait mm -hmm. and then he turned pro right after, or was it was it last year? No, it was eighteen. It was two thousand eighteen. Yeah, 18. and he and got so, conditional status in eighteen. Yeah, because he won the he won the amateur event, um, and and so you know you you've been hearing about him for like forever, and it it just it, it's weird because he's a consistent like top twenty five ball striking guy on the PGA Tour. But Mark's right, we we don't really talk about him when we talk about great ball strikers. Although I did bring up to Rick yesterday. Uh, a, he was twenty to one last night to win this. B, maybe even more interestingly, he's like a hundred or one hundred and twenty-five to one to win Wingfoot. Now, <laughs> is he going to go win the U.S. Open? I, I don't know. That, that's a that's a bigger ask than winning Olympia Fields. But this is a pretty good facsimile of a U.S. Open, and he was awesome. I mean, he was to go out in thirty-one with a putt for thirty on on the ninth hole on on Sunday. He, he has you know kind of like Ron, his ball fight's different. But like Rom, he has every shot. He, I mean, he can bend it every way. He can do whatever you want him to do with his irons. And that's fun to watch, and it plays at this level. Hey, hey Greg, let me throw this in real quick, too. We're talking about young guys, right? And uh, Jocko's 21. I got to mention Rasmus Hoygaard. Yes. I got up this morning to watch the European Tour. This kid's 19 years old, and he's won twice now. Now, European Tour, I don't know what these fields are quite like. Keimer was one shot off the lead today. But Rasmus Hoygaard, so when we go to Wingfoot at the U.S. Open and you hear somebody say, who the heck is Rasmus Hoygaard? 
be sure and tell him. This guy's won twice on the European tour. He's the real deal, by the way. 19 years old. Pretty remarkable. I think he's going to be a ranked ahead of uh, Jordan Spieth when the new rankings come out on Monday. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I would time think stamp. so, right? Not good. Yeah, timestamp that, Jacob. Freaking oh. first call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make, make it, make a, make it past the first round of the playoffs, Jordan, and then we'll, then we'll you know, talk about it again. <laughs> Mark, you were saying? You know, well, I was going to talk about the trajectory you reference. Um, not as much movement from side to side, but he moves it up and down through the air, which makes him so good because if you watch a number of the shots he hit today where there were back hole locations, he was able to get them in tight by managing the trajectory by coming in flatter and landing it shorter a little bit more. So, so, so he is a fascinating case study and Carl's opened my eyes some too. To, to a place like Wingfoot's or, and certain of these events upcoming. We saw how good he was at Royal Melbourne, where it was a game where you were rewarded by toying with trajectory and going in high and low. And, and, and man, he's, he, Neiman is for real, and he's got that gear, and he's prepared to hit those shots. I mean, he had a ball that was knee-high to a grasshopper a few times. They won that uh, pro trace that they were showing. Yeah, I think uh, U.S. Open for sure, but also, man, you talk about the 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 being able to raise and lower his ball fight that that would play great at an Open Championship. And I think Royal Melbourne is, you know, if you if you talk about courses that that's similar to, there's a lot of like courses in the Rota that you're like, oh, man, that's gonna that's gonna be awesome there. So he's gonna be fun to watch. I, I love watching him. He he gets fired up. Um, I love his ball fight fight with the driver as well. So he's he's great. The President's Cup has definitely had a major effect on everything that has happened through the season. It's amazing to think how many guys have won and are close to winners that played in that President's Cup. And, of course, there are some, some superstar Americans. But, um, but, but it's definitely been interesting to watch, especially on the international side. Speaking of which, Hideki Matsuyama had a real chance of winning today. And for much of the round, I mean, he, he really grinded it out. And it, it wasn't easy for him. Um, at, at many stages, but he really hung around. He gets in at two under par uh, in a in a tied for third there, and over six strokes gained around the green this week. We think of him as a ball striker. Uh, Doug, was he the outlier this week? Was he the guy that didn't quite hit it as well as everybody else, but just got it done uh, around the greens? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, although he is such a good ball striker. I mean, I think that was on display at this golf course, and I think that's why he was there in the end. Um, and I think that's why he'll play well next week at East Lake. And I think that's why Hideki will have a good week at Winfoot. Um, I think his game is on the rise. If you look at his bar graph, I mean, I think he's heading upward just like DJ and John Rahm. Um, if you ever have a chance to, of course, I don't know when the fans are going to be allowed back, but if you ever, for the people listening, if you ever go and they let you back in and you watch the guys in the range, go watch Hideki hit golf balls. Just, I mean, it's, it's Give me such your- a joy. Give me your top five on the range real quick. Um, top, top three to well, five. Uh, Sergio's still in my top five. Yes. Uh, I mean, he's awesome. Love he really it. is. And you're, you're always like – and now you know he just doesn't putt well. But, man, he puts on a show. Oh. Um, I mean, he, he's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, certainly Hideki is up there. Rory. I mean, Rory pulls out the driver in the three-wood on the range. I just like – you know, and they're telling me, my ear, Doug, where are you? I'm like, uh, I'll be right there in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to watch Rory a little bit, right? Um, and DJ's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you kind of go down that list, but those are my top guys. I'm trying to think who else. Adam, uh, Adam Scott. Ed. Oh, of course. Adam Scott, yeah. Paul, yeah. Casey. Paul Casey, yes. Yeah, Casey's good. Flushes uh, it. Yeah. Did you mention uh, Tiger? <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, I forgot about the big cat. No, he's still pretty good, too. He doesn't hit any balls anymore, so you don't see him on the range. That's before. that's true. That's true. Yeah, that is a good point. I, I remember when I was at um, when I was at Medalist, I'd see a lot of the guys on. I actually had the range job, so I watched these guys all the time. And Tiger just stood out as completely different to me. Granted, this was three three or four years ago, but he just stood out on a on a entirely different level. It's amazing when you see some of these players where their ball flight just stands out and being on a range is, is amazing to watch. Mark, you got to have a pretty good list on that, right? Well, I, I, I'm on board with Rory. I'm on board with all the guys who were named there. Um, couple, I, I want to say watching Bubba on a range is all mm. fun because <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like when he was still sponsored by Volvic 
and he'd come out there, <laughs> have, have the basket of different color balls, and they'd split them up. And Ted would throw him like a green ball, and there was a fade, and throw him an orange ball, and there was a high draw, and he just <laughs> all of the stuff on command. It was crazy. So I would, I'd add Bubba in there, and then just to Adam Scott, you know, the teacher in me, to watch the ball come off the face is a thing. I mean, a ball through the air is, is, is like a symphony to me. But the way the club interacts with the ground, that's entirely differently. And you mentioned Adam Scott. I watched that guy hit four irons for about 20 minutes. Mm. And he probably hit, I would say, probably 30 or so. And he left this little strip of bacon in the ground there, just like one divot. <laughs> the way the club just bruised the ground for like 30 shots straight, he barely disturbed the turf. And not one of these suckers was mishit, and they climbed into the air like homesick angels. I mean, it was the most unreal thing that I've ever seen. Because most folks hit the ground hard. Spot the things bounces on and off there like a plane touch and go. And it, unbelievable homesick angels is a great band name you that we need a clip just mark's whole deal right there on adam scott and just just feed it out there for people that's that's so like that's just the, the like the top level of talk, talking golf like people just need to hear that one little clip on adam scott um you know what's going to be unbelievable at the at the end of all this is the debate over who's the best guy in this sort of 30-year range that only won one major because mm. you got DJ, you got Adam Scott, you got Jason day, you got Justin Rose. I mean, you can go yeah. Sergio, uh, Sergio, you can go on and on down the list. And these are like all time, like legit guys that have won double digit times on the PGA tour and just one major, one major, one major. It's, it's a pretty crazy list. Well, I, I can think of one player who's hoping to join that list. Um, and he was also in the top five this week, which was a, a great Sunday, which is something we haven't seen a lot from uh, from Tony Finau. He shot 65 today in the in the final round, and he came into the week 29th in the FedEx Cup. So it was a really, really important week for him, an especially important, important day on Sunday. And he showed up, and he played great. And he played great at the PGA Championship on Sunday, too. Uh, Doug, when you look at Tony Finau, does this – does this change your mind at all? Does this make you think Tony Finau is maybe a little bit closer to winning? Or do you think we have to wait and see until he's a little bit closer to the lead going into Sunday? Um, I, I know Tony Finau is going to win. And, you know, that's, that's like one of those comments like, well, boy, that's going out on the limb. But um, I, I do believe, you know, he's – and in tough tournaments, he's always put himself in position, whether it's the Masters or, you know, a couple – what was it, last year where he was top ten in all four majors. Um, yeah, so he's close. Um, uh, again, for Tony, it's a matter of – I mean, we saw we saw Rom and DJ on display today hit clutch putts when they had to, and that's something Tony has been unable to do. And, uh, I, I, and you know, when he, he had Phoenix in the grass right there and Webb Simpson, he didn't lose it. Webb Simpson beat him in Phoenix with those late birdies and then in the playoffs. So Tony Finau's going to win. Um, I mean, he's not going to win at Eastlake. And, but he, uh, he, he will be in position at Wingfoot. Can, he, can his first win or, you know, he did win in Puerto Rico. Uh, can his first big win be a, a major championship? Yeah. Yeah. I think that could happen at Wingfoot for Tony Fino. He does have that kind of game. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you, you mentioned Puerto Rico. And as you know, there's kind of a, a curse that goes along with that. Kyle, are, do you think he can – is he going to break the Puerto Rico curse? Well, or think- is this thing just too strong? I know Doug, Doug referenced it as a, uh, as a good thing. I think it might actually be the thing that's keeping him from winning right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it would be in like the kind of odds that you could get on neither him nor Hovland winning over the rest of their careers. <laughs> You'd have to wait like 30 years for the payout, but uh, I don't know. It'd be it, worth it. it. It's, you know, I, I tweeted this out. It's crazy to me that Tiger won this season and, and Tony Finau didn't. I think Finau had seven top tens and was like, you know, they, I think we think about him and somebody on Twitter called him like uh, this, this era's Kuchar, where it's just like, you know, cashing it on Sunday. And I don't know, he, I mean, he's been in some events. Like he's been like really in it. And like the 3M, the Memorial up until back nine on Saturday. Um, and then Tiger had two top tens this year. You know, he top tened at Torrey back door. And then he won Zozo. And you're like, well, he just 
you know, capitalized on, on, and I think that's the thing for Finau and, and, you know, we've talked about this as it relates to, uh, Spieth. We've talked about it on the opposite end as it relates to Ricky Fowler. You have to understand like the rhythm of a 72 hole event where you want to peak at the very end. And Finau just seems to be, he seems to be very flatline. And in a lot of ways that can be a good thing that can help you out because you don't get too high or too low, but he, he can't seem to figure out how to peak at the very end of a tournament, which is, uh, you know, kept him to, to only that Puerto Rico win. You know how, um, how important it is to win when a guy who has seven top tens and all the things that Kyle mentioned is 29th in the standing setting in. I mean, you just, you have, you have to win. You have to cross the line and win. Mark, what's holding Tony Finau back from, uh, from getting that first win and of course, breaking the curse? Well, nobody knows what's really going on between his ears under pressure and, and what he's feeling like inside. That's a big deal. But he's a competitor. I know that for a fact. I mean, he and his brother, they came up hard scrabble. I'll, I'll never forget him telling me the story of, you know, having to climb over the fence at their local muni to get onto the golf course and, and hitting golf balls into a mattress in the basement that their father put up for them. So stuff hasn't come easy. So I feel like he's got that, that, that chip on his shoulder, if you will. But just from a physical point of view, he just needs to make some putts over the weekend. And the good news for him is he looked like he did that on some pretty demanding greens here on a Sunday. Now, it wasn't under pressure because he wasn't in the final few groups and he was sort of, play, he could have posted, he posted. But, but you, again, you guys have joked with me, but you've got to make putts under pressure on Sunday afternoon if you want to win. I don't care who you are. Uh, it's, you ask any of these guys to win tournaments and the bigger the more important those four, five, six footers are. And, and the bigger the events are, the more demanding they are because the faster and the firmer the greens are. And, and the four footer can suddenly turn into six feet on the way back if you're not careful. So, so, so for me, all Finau's got to do is find a way to make those when it means something. And, and, and he'll find his way into the winner's circle. So the thing, real quick, uh, Finau finished second in putting on Sunday. Great call, Mark. And I don't think anybody disagrees with you about having to make putts on Sunday. I think the broader argument is, do you have to putt really well throughout the entire week, which is where I think we would probably disagree. Yeah, well, um, well let's, let's continue to disagree. I mean, it's, it, I, I am not going to discount ever that you have to hit the golf ball to beat the world's best. You cannot, you cannot fake your way around the PGA Tour. Heck, you can't do it on any of the major tours in the world. But when it comes down to it, golf is a game of scoring. And if you're good on third down, you're going to be really good. You know, first down is, is glorious. If you can hit some of those big bombers and stuff, that's great. But if you st the closer you get to the hole, the, the, the more that's where checks start getting cashed. And, and, and I'll stand by that for as long as I, I draw a breath. That's the perfect analogy because I think I don't disagree with that at all. It's just you put so much stress on yourself when you have to be good on third down instead of taking care of business on first and second down. But I totally agree with what you're saying. It's just, I think it's harder to do throughout a 72 hole event rather than driving it like Rory and hitting irons like JT. Yeah, I agree. You know, the, one of my favorite aspects of the playoffs and, and even the Wyndham championship is these moments that we speak of the kind of moments that Tony Fino has to overcome. Well, they exist at, different areas of the tournament they don't just exist for the winner and there are players like Billy Horschel and Mackenzie Hughes who had moments like this even though they weren't necessarily in contention to win the tournament so there there are a lot of bubble boys in this tournament and we're going to talk about that but first we got to take a break and hear a word from our partners did you know that while over 60 percent of Americans dream of starting their own business less than 20 percent of them take the first step the reason building a business is tough Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. And we're back. Okay, 
on to the bubble boys. Um, who's getting in? Who's on the out? We have Mackenzie Hughes. He makes a dramatic par on the 18th hole uh, to one of our favorite lines, punches ticket to Eastlake. And also getting in is Billy Horschel, and he is right on the number at 30th. And, man, the way that the way Billy Horschel got in was, uh, was really something else. But, Doug, um, what did you make of the bunker shot Mackenzie Hughes hit on 18? I mean, how good was that? Well, I was, uh, you know, I was really excited about, obviously, the Rom DJ finish, but I was also excited about McKenzie. He's, he's really a great, uh, insightful young guy, um, and I love talking to him. I mean, he's a great interview, by the way. He gives you great insight and great information for the job that I do. Uh, but, you know, Paul Azer kept talking about, man, he short-sided himself. That's going to be an impossible bunker shot, you know. Uh, and he threw it up there, what, five feet? And, and had a tricky little cut coming back. And now that completely changes his career around. I mean, next year, I mean, he's in all the major championships. He's in the World Golf Championship, Mexico Championship. He's in the Century Tournament of Champions because the field's not big enough. So if you're in the final 30 and you don't have a win, you're going to go to Maui. So it really is a big deal. And, you know, he's an interesting guy. At the Honda Classic, where he finished second to Sun J.M., uh, he really was having a pretty mediocre Thursday and Friday gets hot the final four holes to make the cut on the number. And then goes out on the weekend to PJ National. I think he goes 66-66 to finish solo second to Sun J.M. And that completely turned his year around, McKenzie Hughes. And then he's played pretty steady. You know, if, if you're following him, I follow all these guys, walk with him from time to time. And he's not a guy who's going to blow you away going, wow, he hits it a long way or that was an incredible iron shot. He's just a, a good, solid PGA professional and, and – you saw the excitement on his face today when he secured that, that spot. I, I mean, that says it all to me. I mean, listen, we, we talk all the time about superstars, and why not? I mean, they're the headliners. But a guy like McKenzie Hughes, he's a great story too. And uh, it, he was very emotional. And I thought NBC did a great job getting that shot of him looking up in the sky uh, when he made that putt. He knew what it meant, and that was pretty cool. I, I'm getting chills talking about it right now. I like McKenzie Hughes. It's, it's a great point, Doug, because – the money, sure. Like the difference between 31st and 30th is like 200K, which is not insignificant. Uh, maybe more insignificant to them than it is to us. But uh, he's 70th in the world. And so what happens is when you're, when you're 70th, 80th, you get into the range of like almost getting into majors, maybe not. It depends on the major. It depends on kind of where you're at going in. But now he's in. And, and so that just – it frees your schedule up, which is a big deal, probably a bigger deal than, than even the money or, or playing for – well, I mean, if he wins 15 mil next week, that's a big deal. But <laughs> if he finishes 20th or 23rd next week, the getting in the majors and all these events is a, is a bigger deal. Mark, I mean, is Mackenzie Hughes uh, like a, a poster, poster boy for you? I mean, the guy gets it done – with the putter and with the short game, right? His, his ball striking is good, but on the year, it's, it's not nearly as good as a lot of, as many of the other players that are in this top 30. What are your thoughts on his game as a whole? Well, a couple of things. I just want to build on what Doug and Kyle said real fast. And that when you hear these guys talk about making it to Atlanta in the tour championship, it, these aren't platitudes. It's for real. And you had a full frontal, you had a visual of how many, it was, uh, you know, for a guy getting it up and down from a tough spot to make it into the top 30, it's for real because they're a whole, they're a whole bunch of, as Doug points out, you know, perks to making it to, to Eastlake. So the FedEx Cup is a thing and, and we can poo-poo it all we like. It, it's for real and all the players recognize this. And then to McKenzie, I, I still think he's young and he's got a lot of growing to go um, physically and mentally and such because the golf swing for me is highly repetitive. It's a really heavy ball. Now, yeah, he's not Rory Long, but he's not short by any stretch of the imagination. And the one victory he's had was down in Sea Island. Um, Doug, I think you were there. It was cold. Yeah. It was crosswinds all over the show and he hits this, this ball that just cuts the wind in half. And so he's a kind of guy that, I, I think will continue to show up on hard golf courses because he's got a lot of control in a very reliable golf swing and he's, he's a streaky sort of a putter. So he can turn good scores in. I mean, I've watched him shoot 61s and twos and stuff before. So he, he, I think he's still learning his craft personally. And, and I think the verdict will be out a little more accurately after a few years when he's gotten into contention a little more. And so he can really get a bead on who is McKenzie use under pressure. Because 
you know, contending for tournaments is different to finishing 35th every weekend and making a nice living. So the more he gets into contention, the more he has to make those putts down the hill like he did on the final green. That's what champions do. And when he starts to do that a little bit more, I feel like we'll see the best of McKenzie use. It is really fun to watch him in contention. I, I really enjoy um, watching this guy play. So great to see him in. We got Billy Horschel. He gets in on the number. He's a former champion from 2014. Uh, unfortunately, Adam Long entered the week in 27th. He is the first man out at 31st. Kevin Streelman was 28th entering, and he falls to 32nd. And uh, his season is over. I guess, as they would say in other sports, well, uh, they're playing golf for the offseason. So, um, but as we get into Tour Championship, we are looking at uh, a leaderboard. We have already established a leaderboard, and this is like we're going into the second round. And Dustin Johnson just went out there and shot 60. He, he just went out and shot 60. And John Rom shot 62. So these guys are off to a good start getting into uh, the Tour Championship at Eastlake. Do we have early leans? Um, Doug, is there a guy? Do you think DJ at, at 10 under with his two-shot lead is just too much to handle? Do you think it, is it even worth talking about anybody else? Uh, oh, yeah. No, uh, last year, Rory came back from five back. Remember, Justin Thomas was the guy with the two-shot cushion. First time we went to that uh, new format, and Rory – and, you know, it was funny. Uh, after, like, the first nine holes, everybody forgot about it. <laughs> you know, it's like going in – that's all anybody talked about. Oh, gosh. You know, if JT wins, it shouldn't be an official win. I mean, you know, that's, that's crazy. But then once it got going, everybody forgot about it, and at the end, it was an exciting finish. Uh, but uh, different from last year when Justin – really wasn't playing his best, uh, even though he, I guess he won the BMW, but he, he just didn't play good that week. I think DJ's playing at a really, really high level. Uh, the last four tournaments have been sensational. I mean, going back to the PGA, we played really good on Sunday, and Colin Morikawa just played out of his mind. And then obviously what we've seen him do here recently, Rom's playing great. Uh, I, I still think Justin Thomas is going to bounce back, and I think he's motivated after what happened last year at Eastlake. So I don't think it's just a two-man deal. Uh, and I think you go back, whoever, you know, those guys that are five, five under um, or five back. Yeah, I mean, old Webb Simpson, he's going to come in rested now. He's been, he was sitting on the couch watching. So let's not forget about old Webb, who's had a heck of a year too. Yeah, so it's, he, he got the week of rest, and it cost him uh, one shot. Kyle, did you think he was going to give up more than that when he decided to withdraw? And do you think it was the right choice? Well, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it was probably the right choice because I think he could only fall. Well, I don't know. It's hard because you, you can't make that decision. You can't say it was right or wrong based on the outcome, but rather like was it right or wrong at the beginning of the week? And I think it was a pretty decent risk to take because he, he was at – he started the week at seven under, so he was in third place, and he dropped to – I, I kind of looked at it beforehand, and it seemed like the most he could fall to was like four under. So he would have been six back. So that's that's right on the uh, on the edge of like ah, this this might not be the greatest idea, but it worked out pretty well for him. I I, I think the interesting thing going to East Lake is what if DJ actually does go out and shoot like sixty two in the first round, and then he's like fourteen up going into the second <laughs> round. I mean that's basically what he's been doing for the last you know month straight. He's like Doug referenced going back to the PGA Championship. He's gained forty seven strokes in the last. 12 rounds so it's like 3.93 or almost four around which is a joke I mean that is a joke and you know if you're if you're Cameron Smith and you're down 10 to DJ right now and he goes out and shoots 65 kind of playing for the uh you're, you're probably playing for the five mil instead of the 15 <laughs> mil going into Friday Mark what you know you, we mentioned that Rory McIlroy came from five back last time um, Webb and Rory, as talented as Webb is, he's not at quite at the. I, I would say most people would probably say he doesn't have the firepower of a Rory McIlroy. Do you do you agree with that, or do you think because Webb only has maybe three guys to pass, he he does have enough firepower to do that? What what are your thoughts on Webb? My thoughts are you got to look beyond the players a bit because Eastlake tends to be a little stingy. You know, it's the kind of place where if you get on the wrong side of affairs, you can paper cut your death to, to paper cut your way to death over there and stack bogey upon bogey on the card, and all of a sudden you're shooting 73 or four. Uh, but but it's it'll give you 67 ish pretty easily if you're doing really well. But the truth of it is, with all those par fours and they're daunting. You're not going to blitz the place. Now it might be a little soft because we've had a bunch of rain here in Georgia, so that might change what I'm saying right now, but you got to get out there and you got to play. And, and so 
we saw it last year. You know, Doug was right. Essentially, after like nine holes, JT's lead was gone. Yeah. And, and, and then it became a golf tournament. And then it was the guy who was playing the best. And that was clearly Rory. So to, to me, I, I love the format because it gives the guy who's played well the advantage. But the golf course is going to separate. And the golf course doesn't respect names. It respects people that have brought all of their game to the place. And that's why I love Eastlake as, as a venue for the finale, because people have pitched doing it on the West Coast for primetime ratings and blah, blah, blah. I just think Eastlake is a gem. And it asks you to play golf. So, you know, whether you're Webb or whether you're Cam Smith or whether you're Rory or DJ or whoever, no matter what your score is, you're going to get out there and hit the first tee shot into the fairway and, and then start building and assembling rounds from there because it isn't given to you around that golf course. So I, I think when you look at the way this format is set up, um, you're, you're talking about a, a, couple sh- a couple shots, but it's not that many guys. And I think that's one of the reasons why, especially with the, the, the stingy golf course, as you say, Mark, I think that's one of the reasons why you're going to see, unless DJ goes out and does what he's been doing, I think you can see this flip pretty quickly because it's not a lot of shots over four rounds. So it'll be very interesting to see. And, you know, if you're, if you're Dustin Johnson, you better play well. Because if you fall to, say, 10th place, well, you're only walking away with $830,000. Million, uh, $830, so that's uh, – you know, you're talking about that you're talking about what's already in his bank account, not what he's going <laughs> to. <win next> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Uh, I, I'm here. I am adding zeros. Um, but I, I want to get a quick uh, a quick early lean from everybody. We'll just go rapid fire. Mark, who who's your early lean for tour championship? Mm-hmm. Well, it's being ruined by the announcement that there might be a little McElroy on the way here anytime soon. Yeah, I was always I was always going with Rory. I told you guys this from the start of the contest. I'd hung on to him so. I mean, I'm still going to go with Rory, just the way he plays nice. golf course, the way he picks a golf ball off, golf ball off the Zoysia fairways. Because if you're a guy who hits the ground real hard, you'll struggle a little bit with control of the irons around there. But if you pick it with clean divots, you're going to have a field day around Eastlake. So I'm still going with the shallow guys, and Rory is kind of the, the benchmark of all of those. And he played, he played better this week. Kyle? Uh, Webb. Doug? Uh, let's go JT. Uh, I think, um, he's motivated after dropping the ball here a year ago. I'm going with Justin Thomas. I, I think I like JT too. I'm going to lean slightly towards JT, but it's going to be interesting to see. I'm sure it'll change throughout the week, but, uh, right now I'm leaning with JT. Let's quickly just kind of review a, a shortened season for Tiger Woods. Um, Dustin Johnson available. I would be using him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for for one and done, uh, that's pretty good. That's who I took this past week, as a matter of fact, which uh, went, yeah. went pretty well for me. So, Mark, when you look at Tiger Woods for this week and for this season, is this a guy who's just mediocre, or is there something in his game that's just missing and he's really close to, to really turning it around? Uh, two things to me. I, I think, first off, we've all got to reframe our expectations. You know, he's told us, I don't think we've wanted to believe the fact that You know, he's going to not be ceremonial, but he's not going to play as much. And a golfer that's not playing as much, the odds are stacked against you, even though you're Tiger Woods, that you're going to be competing against the best of the golfers, the best of the best right now. Guys that are fit and strong and playing great golf and and who are competitive. So that's going to be hard. And then, then secondly, we saw it happen just a few weeks ago with Dustin Johnson. And everyone documented the 80, 80, 78. And all of a sudden, then the following what, 10 short days later, plays well in Memphis and then goes bananas at the Northern Trust and shoots 30 under par. That's how quickly these virtuoso players can turn things around. And it's just on the heels of something small. And, and, and for Woods, I, I don't think this week was that big a, a barometer, really, because when something, when a course is playing that hard and you short side yourself a few times, all of a sudden you're two or three over and you do that four times in a row and then you six or seven, eight over, whichever, whatever he was. So, so I, I think I would have been a little bit more concerned if it was a soft place and guys were making birdies all over the show and he was playing poorly. So, so, so I'm really not sure what to think, but I know for a fact that he cannot be competing consistently with this caliber, caliber of player without having a lot with more competition under his belt. I know that for certain. Kyle, do you agree? Uh, I, I agree with 
the first part. I disagree with the second because he won the Zozo last year after not having played for like three months. I mean, he just comes out and, and beats Rory and JT and all these guys in the Zozo. They like, hadn't wow. been playing very much before then, Carl. They hadn't been playing? Yeah, they, um, they, they weren't very competitive before. Then everyone was showing up and playing again for the first time in a while. I'm talking about through the meat of a season when you're having major championships and stuff. Tiger winning, winning in the fall, awesome. He tied the all-time wins record. Tiger Woods measures himself by events that happen from April through the end of August. That's where the meat and potatoes of the season is. Well, I, I agree. I just thought it was crazy that he came in after not having played. And I mean, Gary Woodland played with him the last two days and was like, I've never seen somebody control the golf ball like this. So you're, you're right. Like it's not Riviera. It's not uh, Muirfield village. It's, it's not in the heart of the season, but it's, it wasn't, it wasn't like he won the Hero World Challenge. You know, it was it, – it felt like – it felt like a bigger deal than that. But the first part is is correct. And, and I think that – I think that what Mark said about, like, hard and f- fast and firm versus soft courses is interesting because um, I, too, would be more concerned if he was just, like, all over the place on a soft course where everybody was scoring – but the tournaments that Tiger wants to win are played on fast and firm courses. And so then it becomes problematic of like, okay, well, can, can you do that right now? Cause it, you know, the margins are so small. Like it, it, it and I love that he brought up the, the 80, 80, 78 with DJ. Cause he just, you know, flipped the switch and you've won, two, you know, two of the last four events or whatever it is. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, the Tiger thing, I just, I don't know. As he gets, he's going to be 45 later this year. He's still going to be competitive at times. He's still probably going to win. It's just how often is that going to happen? He's won once out of each of the last three seasons, but he's playing fewer and fewer events. I just think we only have so many left in kind of the quota of where Tiger's super competitive. I definitely have concerns with his schedule because not only is he playing fewer and fewer, but every time he does play, it, it requires such a high level of golf. The, a tournament like the Zozo, where he played great, to me is an outlier because he's now coming in to a place like TPC Harding Park for the first time, a place like Olympia Fields uh, with only one week prior um, playing in a row. And it seems like it's hard to get a rhythm. And it seems like it's hard to get a rhythm when every golf course you play is as challenging as the ones that he has played. Now, I know he had TPC Boston there, and he, he kind of – had a, had a really nice Sunday, but didn't really get a rhythm. So I, I have some concerns, but there's a fine line for him because playing too much, well, that leads to no play for a really long period of time because of that body. And playing uh, only a little bit, you wonder if he gets the reps and, and the repetition. Doug, what are your kind of final thoughts on Tiger's season, Tiger's week this week? Well, um, uh, I referenced Bill Parcells, the old football coach, who said we are who our record says we are. And I think that's exactly what Tiger is. He's a part-time player now. Um, and when he shows up at these really tough golf courses, it is hard to just jump, jump out and beat the best players in the world. He's simply not as good right now as those top guys in the world rankings and in the FedEx Cup points. And I think you have to be realistic. And I think he's realistic. Um, I, I don't think he can practice. And I don't think he wants to practice as much as he used to. I think he wants to spend more time with Charlie, his son, and, and get him better at golf and maybe get himself better at golf. So um, I just – Wingfoot is so difficult. It'll be great to see him there, but I just don't think he's going to be in contention there because, listen, the numbers don't lie. And right now, over the last four tournaments, he hasn't been very good. Numbers don't lie. There is no doubt about it. Um, and that leads us perfectly into our odds and ends. We had the matchups this week. and uh, Of course. <laughs> I, I had to go here. To, we had um, Mark was six and four. Um, and he, Mark has four belts on the year. Rick was five and five. He has, uh, Rick has one belt. Kyle was four and six. But Kyle is, was our defending champ. He also has four belts. He and Mark have the most belts. But this I'm, week, I'm like I'm like Matthew Wolf. I miss a lot of cuts, but I also win. So <laughs> yeah, you got you got champions there, no <laughs> doubt about it. Actually, not not the highest winning percent. Winning percentages are actually pretty tight. It's been uh, kind of fun to see. It's a tight race. But um, this week, on a dog differential, as they call it, um, 
I'm your winner, yours truly. So I'll take my own, my very own victory lap and set that up. As you can see, it's a very humble night for me. Congratulations, uh, Greg. Hey, real quick, you. real quick before we go, can I make a plea to uh, all Americans with the election coming up? Uh, we can unite as a people because as we've seen tonight, Mark and I have found uh, common ground when it comes to strokes gained. We, 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 <laughs> we agreed, we united, uh, we came together. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that the country can follow our lead and, and do the same over the next three months. That is very well said. Kyle Porter for president. You heard it here first. Uh, that, 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 that's it for the First Cut podcast. So I want to thank everybody for joining. That's Kyle Porter at Kyle Porter CBS. We're going to have to change that to, um, I don't know. Maybe USA. USA. Kyle Porter USA. Mark Immelman at Mark underscore Immelman. Doug Bell at Doug Bell Sports Guy. And I'm Greg Ducharme. You can get me at The Real GFD. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next week.